Hello and welcome back to the Be Well, Do Well podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have a conversation with an amazing entrepreneur. Brendan Kumarasamy is the founder of MasterTalk, where he helps ambitious executives and coaches become top 1% communicators in their industry. I recently attended one of his presentation workshops and it was so well crafted that it felt like I was watching a master painter do his thing. Brendan, welcome to the show. You're too kind, David. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. So first things first, I'm curious how you decided or what happened to you in your life that you decided that public speaking was something that you wanted to get into. I'm always curious about what brings people to what they're doing today. For sure. So the origin story started in university slash college. I went to business school. But the goal is never for me to be this entrepreneur or communication coach. The way out for me and most immigrants who come to Canada, my parents immigrated from Sri Lanka in the early 90s, was the education system. So I went to business school to be an accountant. That was the goal. So I went there and I started doing these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So all the guys my age were playing rugby or football or baseball. I wasn't one of those guys. I did presentations competitively. And that's how I learned how to speak. But I accidentally got really good at coaching communication, especially since I was doing it for free back then. It wasn't even a business. I was just helping the other students get better at it so that they could win competitions. And then when I graduated from college and I started to work as a technology consultant at a Fortune 500, I had the idea for MasterTalk because I realized that everything I was sharing with them wasn't, for, wasn't free on the internet. And then it led to what it is today. That's awesome. And you are bilingual. You speak English. You speak French. Was that something that helped you quite a bit when you were trying to teach others how to public speak? Because both languages have different nuances and different styles. Absolutely. So it was a hindrance at the beginning and then it became a benefit later. So what does that mean? As I grew up in Montreal, which is a city, for those who don't know, where you need to speak French. So if you don't know the language, you're, you're in trouble, basically. So my parents actually sent me to French school to learn the language, but I did not know the language. So my whole life I was presenting and I didn't know what I was talking about because it was a language I didn't know. And it caused a lot of stress. So I actually never thought I was a great speaker until maybe seven, eight years ago. So this was pretty recent that I realized I had a gift for this because most of the time, all of the presentations I did, I sucked. And I also got a crooked left arm because of a surgery I had when I was younger too. So I, I, wasn't, I didn't feel like I was the guy for communication. But then later in my career, actually being bilingual was super helpful. One in the Montreal market, I actually trained some of my clients in French. But the other piece to that is because I resonate a lot with the whole idea of how to present in a second language because I struggle with that for most of it. Yeah, interesting. Do you enjoy public speaking yourself? I do. I definitely do. I think communication is super fun and public speaking is super fun. But I have nerves like everyone else. Yeah. So I don't just, for example, the analogy I always give is let's say me and you are getting lunch and Elon Musk calls me and he goes, hey, I saw your episode on Amin's podcast. It was great. I saw your YouTube show. Can you coach me? I'll pay you a million dollars. Would I be stressed out? Yeah, it's Elon. Of course. I think the fear is always going to be there. It's just a different level for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do when you get those nerves? We all do, right? But what do you do when you feel that anxiousness? The way I see it is it's a relationship to manage like a marriage hmm. rather than something you need to divorce yourself from. So what does that mean? So let me give you the analogy that I always use, which is the boxing ring analogy. Let's say there's one side of the ring, which has our fear, has our stress, has our anxiety. And the other side is the message. Why is this important? The goal is not for the fear to leave the ring, Amin, but rather make sure that when the message and the fear meet in the middle of that match, that your message gets the knockout punch. 
So for me, if you use me as an example, I had every excuse not to do mass talk, right? I think I started the YouTube channel when I was like 22. I started coaching when I was 19. And a lot of the people I work with today are much older than I am. So why did I have the confidence? The reason I did it had nothing to do with older people. It had everything to do with the 15-year-old girl who couldn't afford me. So I just thought, well, nobody's helping that person. So even if I had a lot of fear and no money and I was making videos in my mother's basement for the first year, the message was incrementally more important than the fear that it was attached to. So I always overcame it. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's pretty powerful. You've done a lot of podcasts. You and I were just talking right before we hit record that you've done 500 plus podcasts. So obviously that helps when it comes to doing the reps. But how do you find the time to do all of this? It's a great point, man. I think for me, it's about making the time. Here, here's a question I get people to think about. I call it the focus question that I got inspired by Warren Buffett from. And the question is, if you could only accomplish three things in your life and only three in your entire life, what would you want those three things to be? And I feel a lot of people, why they're unsuccessful is they're always marrying themselves or rather not even marrying themselves. They're always jumping from one idea to another versus going, if I could only contribute one thing that's meaningful to society, what would that one thing be? And I realized for me, I'm terrible at most things. I don't cook. I don't know how to do chores. Like I'm not good at that stuff. But when it comes to communication and rather conveying the idea of communication in a way that gets the larger public to say, oh, this is cool. I want to work on this. I felt I was the only person in the world who had that gift or very small people who did for communication, public speaking specifically. So I told myself, how do I prioritize my time to make that work? So the point that we didn't talk about in that 500 podcast, whatever the number is, 80 to 90% of those shows I'm in had zero listeners, like literally zero. I was episode one, two, or three. And some of them were sports podcasts or weed podcasts. There's a bunch of random stuff. So why did I say yes to them? Because I was repping for my future self, the person who was going to be on the bigger shows, the person who's going to be on those platforms. I was preparing myself in a way that most people in their 20s couldn't have before because podcasting is a new vehicle of conveying a message. So I'm preparing myself for 35-year-old Brendan. Yeah, that's amazing. And a lot of our listeners are actually probably in their 40s or 50s. 35-year-old Brendan is going to be pretty powerful. I want to get back to the idea of ambition, but first I want to talk about what you brought up as your crooked arm. So when you were growing up, kids are just sometimes cruel. And, and they, they say things, they don't mean to be unkind, but it can come off as unkind. And parents are even more protective of their kids. So can you just talk a little bit about if it impacted you at all growing up and how your parent played into that? For sure. So I feel from my parents' side, it was actually worse than at school. And the reason is because in Indian culture, which is the one I'm from, or Sri Lankan culture, they always have a tendency of re-emphasizing your flaws. So for example, let's say somebody doesn't have an arm, which I'm grateful I have both. But let's say somebody doesn't. If you never comment on, you just talk to them, they never realize they have a problem. But if you come up to them, you go, oh, I'm so sorry that you, oh, I'm, it must be really hard for you. The first time you go, it's not that hard. But after the hundredth time you hear it, your mind gets conditioned into believing that it's actually a bad thing. So growing up as a kid, a lot of cousins and aunties, they would always come to my house and always touch my arm. But in my head, I was just like, but they both work. As you can see yeah. on this podcast and this video, like they like can dance with both and I can get a glass of water with my left one. So I never saw it as a problem woman, until other people labeled it as a problem. So I always grew up with the insecurity that other people gave to me. I got lucky in school though. I think the reason is because I'm Canadian. So even if people picked on me like every other kid, it wasn't as bad 
because a lot of my friends who didn't speak English, by the way, they would try and converse with me through their body language. They would defend me in front of the other kids. And I just got really lucky with that. Oh, nice. The, there's this book I read, it's called The Four C's by Dan Sullivan. And he talks about how confidence actually happens at the end. You start with commitment, then you have courage, then you find the capability, and then eventually confidence. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, it's actually really good. It's short, quick. But for me, when it comes to what you exhibit as confidence, I can see that you made that commitment. You're like, all right, I'm going to do this. Arm, whatever, right? It's just another person. We were talking about, I can't pronounce his name, but Nick Vujicic, I think is his, is his name. No arms, yeah. no legs. And the guy, he's, he's a happy guy doing his thing, but... If other people didn't point it out, right, and he was surrounded by others that had no arms and no legs, it would just be another normal for him. And so work with what you have and you move on from there. Now, coming back to your ambition, you are probably on the top like five of my list of people that have huge ambitions, right? And it's awesome. Like I love talking to you and I get more energized after I talk with you because of that one thing specifically. So how, where does that ambition come from? Some people will be happy with where you are now. You're not 40 yet and you achieved your level of success. People will be happy with that and they'd be like, all right, I'm good. But you want to go 10, 100,000 times bigger. So tell me about that. Like, where does this ambition, where does this drive come from? First of all, Amin, that's a very kind of you since, you, since you're, I'm sure your network is a lot more impressive than mine. So if I've already made your top five list of ambitious people, it means a lot. So thank you. So I'll start there. I think at the beginning, it came from a bad place. So when I was younger, I grew up in a dysfunctional household. My dad was an alcoholic. So for me, a lot of that early stage was proving him wrong. So a lot of it was driven by anger. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to prove everyone that I can do this. And that's what ended up happening. So I, I got the job that I wanted. But then after he passed away, I realized that the game was rigged. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I wasn't trying. I was trying to be this person. But I wouldn't have became that person if he never immigrated to Canada in the first place. He's the reason I became successful. As Tony Robbins says, if you're going to blame someone for your failures, you have to blame them for your success too. And then when that happened, I started realizing, okay, what's the bigger game that I want to play? What's the real point of my life? And I think the reason I became so ambitious over time, besides the whole situation with my dad, was this idea that when you ask yourself really hard questions about life, like the one I asked earlier, that's just one of them. I call them 80-20 questions. You know how like we have the 80-20 principle? What are 20% of the actions that get you 80% of the result? I'm framing that in the context of questions. What are 20% of the questions that lead to 80% in one's clarity in life? So I've just asked myself thousands of these questions. And I just realized this idea that we're all going to die anyways. So going back to the reverse, when we reverse engineer the end, go What's the point of life? Am I, would I be happy with just having a few million dollars in my bank? Yeah. And I realized that I'm just one of those people. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to compare myself to Kobe, but I think we have the same personality trait where it's like we don't get a high off just success. We get a high off of doing really cool shit. And I just think we're, people are just wired differently that way. Yeah. So you're like thriving on the actual process rather than the outcome. Yeah. I call this visualizing iconic moments. So where you spend time visualizing the iconic moments. So for me, the iconic moments that haven't happened yet that I know will eventually is having 100,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel and partying up with all my cousins and putting nice suits on for a day and renting out like a dinner. So I think about those iconic moments or getting on the podcast that I don't have access to yet or getting on that stage or shaking that person's hand or coaching Elon Musk one day. That's also on one of my goals list. So it's not about achieving it, Ahmed. It's more about 
the visualization. And one example from this is from a documentary that I highly recommend people listen to and watch called Free Solo. By, I forgot what the guy's name is. Did you watch it? This is that the one where he's climbing the wall in Yosemite. You got it. That's an awesome video. It scared the crap out of me watching it, but it's, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I was so scared. And the guy, I just remember his name is Alex Holnold. And the guy, what was interesting, there's one scene in that documentary I'll never forget for the rest of my life. And the scene was about him and his girlfriend. He said, my girlfriend gets enjoyment out of her family and buying gifts and celebrating the holidays. And that's all amazing. Like, he's not hitting on that by any means. But then he goes, for me, I get excitement in life from doing important things. So for the last 10 years, I was scared of El Capitan. I didn't want to free solo that. But then I thought to myself, what if I did? What lies on the other side of that? Because if I did that, everyone else growing up would look up to me and say, I want to climb something bigger. And it sounds insane, but I think that's the way that ambitious people look at life because it's just more fun. Yeah. And I think it was the same show, the same documentary where they, did they put him under an MRI and they watched his brain patterns when there was things that would scare other people. And for him, it was just stable. There was nothing there. Like there was no fear. That was cool. That was really cool to see that his brain functions differently. So when he's climbing free solo, for those that don't know, it's no gear no anything, just chalk, I think. I thought he's got a bag of chalk in his, yeah. on his waist. And when he's faced with something terrifying, his brain is like, all right, just next step, keep going. Exactly. In other words, for people listening, if you miss one of the shots, as you die. Yeah. That's essentially what I'm going to say. Yeah, you're way up there. And I think that's why it gave me so much anxiety watching that show, because the camera angle is like, you're way up high. And he's just dangling there with one finger, two fingers. Awesome. Highly recommend everybody watch that show. There's so many cool shows and books and audios right now. Is there something that you're reading that's really exciting or that you have read in the past even? For sure. I always like to recommend Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison's the CEO of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit. He started to help people gain access to clean drinking water. And the reason I like Scott, he's one of my heroes as well. But the reason I'm so fascinated by his story is he's a great example of anybody in the world can create impact. You just got to make the decision that person is you. He literally went from being a nightclub promoter in his 20s. He was getting people drunk in New York City. He's one of the top 10 nightclub promoters in the city, which is actually really impressive since it's a really tough scene there. He had everything. His girlfriend was on Vogue magazine. He had a Rolex watch, BMW, most miserable human being that he knew of. And then he started Charity Water at 31. And Charity Water today is the largest water charity in America. It's raised upwards of $700 million. He's helped over 15 million people get access to water. And there's a great quote in the book that I always like to share. And the quote is, the goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. And it always stuck with me. Nice. Nice. Say that one more time. The goal is not to live forever, but rather create something that will. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. I love that. We'll put that in the show notes. That's a good one because uh, it speaks to legacy, right? Like where are you trying to go and what are you trying to do? That's beautiful. We talked about you being busy making time for things rather than finding time for things. Do you have any productivity tips or hacks that you use in your daily life to get things done, to get more done? I would say the one I'd recommend, Amin, is, but I'm sure you got a lot better tips than I would pull out, is really on the idea of thinking about your life in reverse. So for me, what I do is when I look at my time, it's not really a vector. I think it's more about you test the different aspects that are available and you choose what works for you. So like for me, 
I don't. I'm not a five a.m. club guy. Like I don't wake up in the morning. I think I woke up like it's six today by accident. But most of the time, I wake up at eight or nine a.m. I don't only start my meetings at ten. I just work until ten or midnight because it just works better for me. So I think the key is a test everything. I don't like cold showers. I don't meditate. Yet I'm still productive and I get the job done. And other people like Alex Hermosi just get up at four a.m. and just have a coffee. And they just start working until noon. They don't take meetings until noon. So everyone's different. So I'd encourage people to never be religious about which one they're following, but rather have the courage to try all of them to then figure out what works for them. Like intermittent fasting works perfectly for me. I don't eat until like two p.m. and it works great. But other people just can't tolerate that. Like my business partner. So that's one piece. The other piece is then looking at what are the three high ROI activities in my week that I want to keep repeating. So for me, it's pretty simple. Podcasting on podcast—it's not a high revenue generating ROI, but it's really just because I just like having these conversations. The second one is sales calls, and the third one is free trainings, like hosting those free trainings that you went through. So with those three things in mind, I just optimize that all the time. Oh, that's amazing! Amazing. I wouldn't have expected that. I thought that you would be an early riser, meditator, that sort of thing. Because I think your circle is more like that, aren't they? Yes, yeah. literally. That's actually a fantastic observation. You're absolutely right. Everyone in my circle does that except for me. I、Very、break、cool. every rule. <laughs> That's perfect. Is there anything else that your friends or people that know you would be genuinely surprised to learn about you? Genuinely, be surprised. I'm such an open book, so it's hard <laughs> to answer this question because I share everything about my life. I would say the thing that they would be surprised to know is that, but a lot of people know this, is that I still live with my mother. Like I still live in her basement. The reason is more because I read a blog called "Wait But Why" by Tim Urban, and he talks about this idea that you're going to be spending a lot of time with your friends, like your brothers and sisters, but you actually don't have that much time with your parents. So a lot of us in our twenties, like I already lost my dad three years ago. So who knows how long my mom's gonna live? Whereas what a lot of kids do when they're young is they move out of their parents' house really fast. They move to another country, do something else. And then it's only in the last one they realize they're sick. They come back and see them, and I just didn't want that regret in my life.、So. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Love that. I'm sorry to hear about your father, and parents and family. It's so important in Indian. You're Sri Lankan. I'm Indian. It's, it's so important. So I think it would be surprising to maybe the non-Asian crew to learn that you do that. But it's actually fairly normal in our culture, isn't it, to live yeah, live at home. Yeah, and actually, that that's the the tip I give most entrepreneurs who are getting started, which isn't your audience because they're in the forties and fifties. Though some of them might be starting their、yeah. first business, it, it's just the tip doesn't apply so much, which is income combining. Like I think the reason、mm-hmm. I was able to leverage up capital super efficiently is because it's not because I'm a rich guy or I came from money or of an inheritance because I really didn't. My parents were factory workers, and I only retired my mom like three years ago. But there's a reason I was able to do that. Because if you combine my income with my sisters and my mom's, we all live together in the same house. You're all paying down one mortgage, so you have a lot more excess cash to reinvest in the business. So I have a lot more capital deploy than somebody who's ten years older than me who has all these expenses. And that's just the easy hack that nobody implements because of stigma. That's awesome. What are you working on right now that's got you really excited? I would say there's no specific project I'm working on that's exciting because I'm always doing the same thing over and over again.、Yeah. And I think that's what Alex Hormozzi says, right? It's not about Doing the extraordinary things—it's about doing the ordinary things for an extraordinary amount of time、mm. and being consistent with that. So I would say for me, it's the main three. I think the only thing I started recently that's exciting is being on TikTok and Instagram, investing the capital to start doing that. So that's going to be exciting. 
I would say the next piece, though, is really just to keep trekking with the same actions with the podcast and things like that and doing more workshops and keynotes for B2B. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And consistency is key, right? And so you keep doing that in an extraordinary way. That's amazing. Where can somebody reach out to you if they wanted to ask any questions or get to know more about you? Yeah, for sure. I've been great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second piece is the workshop that we run that's free over Zoom, that's live and interactive. So if you want to jump in on one of those free calls, just go ahead and register at rockstarcommunicator.com. Nice. You are a rock star and I appreciate your time here. Thank you so much, Brendan. I really appreciate your time and energy. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Amon. Really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one.